Today's reading comes out of the book of Jonah, chapter 2, verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Eric. And uh, hello again, <laughs> Dave, if you weren't in here. Um, good, to, good to be together. So we're going to um, dive into our time in God's Word this morning. You might see we have one verse, so it's like, man, it's going to be the shortest sermon ever. Um, most likely not, but, but we'll do what we can. Um, it's, uh, and also, if you were here last week, Joe Jewell, um, uh, a rook. President here um, got to preach through that and did a great job through all of Jonah chapter two. And um, yeah, I just love Joe and got to hear that. And it was very shaping and, and, and just so excited to have um, the Lord really blessing our congregation through, through him. And um, you might be wondering, well, why? Okay, we already did that. Why are we now um, honing in on one verse, right? Like turn with me to Jonah chapter two, verse nine C. Um, right? Uh, salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, on that note, though, I am actually saying turn with me there. So, right, get, go ahead and turn there. And as I say, often, if you don't know where that is, I, it's hard. It's a little, little prophetic book right in the middle of a couple other seemingly obscure ones. So by all means, turn to the table of contents and it's okay and, and f find it there. If you don't have a copy of God's word with you, um, would you hold your hand up and keep it up and we will get you one. Okay. So hold your hand up and we'll get you a copy of God's word um, to follow along with. E En español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levante su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene ninguna Biblia, um, eso es un regalo a usted. Y esta mañana estamos en el libro de Jonás. Um, and so, uh, again, this is our gift to you, okay? Keep this, make it your own, um, follow along and see, uh, thus saith the Lord, okay? Follow along with, this is God's word to us. And so, um, again, I'll explain more of why we're doing this, why we're diving in, focusing in on uh, a seemingly obscure part of one verse in Jonah. And it's this, that, um, and this is kind of our, our desire going forward as a church throughout all of redemption is there are things that we walk through, right? Different, different theological truths, different things that really form and shape us in, as a church and, and, in, and in all that we do. And rather than, um, though we cover those things in our membership times, or, you know, different things like that, um, as we're walking through books of the Bible, which is our practice, as we walk through an entire book of the Bible, when we come upon a verse that is um, particularly shaping, and it is one that, 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 that informs a lot of our understanding of all of Scripture, we want to pause and kind of dive into that more deeply. And so much of who we are and what, what we believe and how we understand God's Word and how we, we, we preach is shaped by this truth that's right here in the text that says salvation belongs to the Lord. And so again, this morning, we're going to pause and press into that. And we've got a ton to cover with that. So let me go ahead and, and um, pray for us and, and just ask and trust the Lord to lead and oversee our time together. Okay. Again, Heavenly Father, this is your word and we want to handle it well. Um, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, my strength and my redeemer, 
Lord, we pray that through the the Spirit, you would reveal what you want to reveal. Lord, you would open our eyes. You would soften our hearts. Lord, you would lead us to respond to you. Again, that the, the call of throughout Jonah we've seen is this, is this call to surrender to the pursuing God whose kindness leads his people to repentance. Lord Jesus, would you very practically woo us, lead us to respond in faith, in trust, in repentance. In Jesus' name, Amen. So some of my backstory, um, if you don't, don't know, I've shared it here and there, but a bit of um, how I came to faith in Jesus is from, and, and it's always a miracle, all right? We'll talk a lot about that here more and more, but it's, I think as you hear my story and you kind of hear how I heard what it meant to become a follower of Jesus, what it meant to put your trust in him, um, some things, again, we'll talk a lot about just what it means to become a Christian or to be born again, right, to, to to go from death to life, to have a heart that is hardened, naturally um, made soft. Um, that, that the way I did that, I was a young kid and overheard two adults, I was about five or six years old, overheard two adults talking about this idea. And kind of a bigger idea was just um, God is safe and secure and all powerful. And if you put your trust in him um, and you're in his hands, you, you too will be secure and, and um, known and cared for. And I don't even know exactly what was shared, but, but hearing that, the, the Holy Spirit, I think, opened my ears in such a way that, that I just said, I, I want to know this, this God. And, and I, I prayed a very simple kind of children's book prayer that I got in a class like we have back there. And, and that's when I came to faith in Jesus. And if you ask me then, well, how did it, like, how, how did you choose God? What did you, you know, did you piece everything together? And it would just be like, no, I, I don't, God, like, God stepped into my life. He called me to himself. He, he wooed me, right? That, that romantic love as a, a father to a wayward, scared child. And, and much of my life, looking back, has been just shaped by God's sovereignty by salvation belonging to him and me being a, a, an undeserving recipient of, of his love, of his pursuit. And yet, as we move on, and for myself, as I moved on in life and I got older, I, I began more and more to think, well, it's, um, you know, I, I did this, and well, how does it work? Like, what's God's part, and what's my part? And, and kind of get all, all this stuff. And, and um, something I, I want you, us to understand as we walk through this idea, this truth, this good news, okay, that salvation belongs to the Lord, it is that, we tend to make it about us. We tend to focus on ourselves too much. As we'll see in a moment and we move on, we, we, we grow in having a lower view of God and a higher view of self. And it leads us to a place of not seeing that it's good news that salvation belongs to the Lord. We, we've in turn taken it and made it our own. And if you're theologically astute or aware, right, there's huge conversation about this. There are different big seminary-like words used for this, right? And, you know, um, reform theology, Arminianism, Calvinism, all these different things. And here's where we're headed this morning. We're not going to get into all that seminary-type approach to it. We're not going to keep it in a library or a, or a courtroom, if you will. The, the hope is that while we do hold to what is um, understood as a reformed position— all right, the, the hope this morning, where we're headed, is that we will see the good news. 
the everyday, real-life good news that salvation belongs to the Lord, that we will go from the courtroom to the living room, all right, that we will get away from the corporate boardroom, right, and that we will get in the living room, in the dining room, and we will see, okay, this is what it means, that salvation belongs to the Lord, all right, so how we're going to walk through this is we're going to ask these questions as we, as we think through that. Okay, how, how does that work? How is this good news? How does all this stuff fit together? We're going to walk through it like this. Okay, we're going to ask these questions. Why does it matter? All right, a lot of people would say, well, it doesn't matter. I don't want to get in all these kind of theology and all this stuff. It doesn't really matter. Well, we'll as we'll see, it, it does. Very practically, real life, it matters. So why does it matter? What does it mean? All right, what does that even mean that salvation belongs to the Lord. And then we're going to dive into why do we struggle with it? And then we're going to walk through again, ultimately, practically, why is this good news? Or how is this good news that salvation belongs to the Lord? So right away, kind of right out of the gates, let's dive into this. Why does it even matter? Again, why stop at this one verse and really press into salvation belonging to the Lord? Well, a couple of theologians, Edmund Clowney and John, um, John Frame, and, and many others have, have, have pointed out that this idea, this truth that salvation belongs to the Lord is the central point to the whole Bible. Okay, that, that God and who he is and his power and his character and the way that relates to us in every facet of life is not just uh, something to be brushed aside and focus on what really matters. It really, really matters. All right, because again, it comes back to who is God and who are we? Um, A.W. Tozer, author, theologian, all this stuff, um, he said this, he said, what comes to a person's mind when they think about God and then I would say from there, in turn, what we think about ourselves is the most important thing about a person. All right. And again, the way we view salvation and what that means on an individual level, on a global, cosmic, communal level, that, that matters. It says what we think about God and what we think about, about ourselves and why is that? Well, the very first sermon series we ever preached here as a church, and I want to just kind of press into right now, is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, really has the main idea that all of life, not just our individual lives, right? But we say all of life is all for Jesus because all of life on a human level, cosmically, globally, is all about Jesus. That he is the, is the author of the whole story, all right? He's written it. It's, he knows what he's doing. He is supreme. He is authoritative. He is sovereign. And he's the hero. Okay, so we find ourselves in our stories in his story. All right, and now again, that might sound, oh, cool, yeah, I, I hear that again intellectually, theologically, but let, press in with me for a moment and just think about your last week. How much of it is about this assumption that it's actually our story to define, to write, to be under pressure of, to be, to be the hero of, right, to figure out, to compete with others, right? I want my, the trajectory of my life to win out over the trajectory of someone else's. Like, think um, in your own family, in your business, in your hobbies, in your workplace, in your exercising, whatever, right? It's so me-centered. And so why it matters is how... You, and, Again, very practically, I just, this is just true. 
how you live every facet of your life is directly related to who salvation belongs to, to who the author and the hero of the story really is. And again, ultimately, whose story it is. Is God's story, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, church, going to church, whatever it might be, is that a sliver? Is that a part of your life? And that's how we tend to talk about it, right? Even here, right? Like, oh, it's all about, you know, God, country, family, and, and, and we view it as this way of like, we're kind of here, and then where does God fit in? And, um, you know, and we, and it's no, like the whole, even back into the Ten Commandments, right, which I assume everyone has heard of, in here, right? Some idea of that. The, we, we tend to treat it like God's a piece of the pie. And the whole, the very first one, right? You shall have no other gods in my, in, in my, in my midst is an understanding that God is, is central and everything else needs to fit and fall into who he is and what he's doing. So there's a paradigm shift. All right. And then secondly, in the very end of the whole story of all creation in Rung, Revelation chapter 7, verse 10, um, the second part of that, the, what everyone will gather around this throne, will, the, the way that human history will come to final, final being, the end of the whole story, right? And this is what we're told from Scripture, this will happen, is that everyone will gather around and will cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's what Jonah is saying here at the belly of a fish and the bottom of the ocean. He's reciting because he remembers that many years before him, the psalmist in Psalm chapter 3 said, salvation belongs to the Lord. And then obviously he doesn't know this, but we have the blessing and the benefit now of looking back and looking ahead. And we know, oh wow, even in the final day, Salvation belongs to the Lord is what every tongue will confess and will say. So it matters. So now from there, I think we can look into what does it mean? What does this even mean? Well, again, firstly, I want to point out, we live in such an individualistic kind of world that we look at it through the lens of it's all about me. When we say salvation, and if you're not a Christian and you're here today, you haven't put your faith in Jesus or trusted him. First, I'm just really glad you're here. And hopefully you've heard the phrase used multiple times, right? This is a safe space. It's hopefully a good place for you to come and to hear more about this gospel and hopefully hear that defined and explained. It means good news. All right. And it's far reaching. Most of us probably hear the gospel or salvation or evangelism, which is the good news being proclaimed. And we think of it just in, again, in a courtroom setting that's, I am here, I am guilty individually, I, um, there's now good news, I can be forgiven. And then often case, it just ends there. Well, the, the idea of, of salvation belonging to the Lord is, again, hear me on this, if we flip the script and it's all about him, if it's his story, it's not less than you and your heart. Okay, hear me again right now. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I believe that God has led you here this moment, this morning, to hear of his pursuit of your heart, his call for you to be restored 
in relationship with him to go from death to life, that the effects of sin, which is turning away from God, that you have consciously chosen and um, in, in your nature been born with and walked away from him, that he has, is pursuing you and calling you to himself. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, you're here this morning and you would call yourself a Christian, all right, that's true of you. That's your story. But it's even bigger than that. Okay, we've used this imagery before that, that if God rescues you individually, he, it, the fact that it belongs to him is he doesn't just step in and grab you and then leave all your stuff that's been affected and marred by sin, that he comes in and he restores all things. And in the final day in Revelation chapter 21, we get a picture of Jesus on the throne saying, behold, I am making all things new. How many things? All things. So what it means that salvation belongs to the Lord is that it is individual and more. It's not less than that. It's not less than hearts and souls. It's even greater. So um, an author, Christopher Wright, who some of you are familiar with, and he's really smart and from Ireland and then lived in England, so he has this really cool accent that I might accidentally slip into trying to impersonate, but I'm sorry if I do. But... Um, he has some, he, he's actually written a book that's um, Salvation Belongs to Our God. And then the subtitle is Celebrating the Bible's Central Story. And it's, again, this good news that salvation belongs to our God. And he talks about the individual and the bigger picture good news of salvation belonging to him. And this is how he walks through it. Okay? As we walk through this now, he says these things. And I think we have a list here. If you could go back. Yeah, the whole list there. That salvation is initiated by God's grace. It is achieved by God's power. It is offered on God's terms. It is accomplished by God's son. Salvation is secured by God's promises. And it is guaranteed by God's sovereignty. And everything in me wants to spend a lot of time on each one of these, okay? And I'm not going to do that, all right? Happy Mother's Day. All right, no, we're, and some of you might be like, no, do it, do it, right? But, well, others don't, right? We all need to love our neighbor, okay? We're going to really walk through and take our time um, to some degree, but also understand it's not going to be enough, okay? But we want to get a big picture that can then be filtered in through the Spirit's work in each of our lives and in us as a community. We want to get a, 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 a big picture snapshot that can then be fleshed out and lived out for a whole lifetime, all right? So with that, let's just walk through some of these things that salvation is initiated by God's grace, and as you see, there are three verses. I'm going to only read one on each thing, but if you're the note-taking type, you can take these, or if you uh, this is dangerous, but I'm going to say you can email me or put on a connect card if you want all these, and um, we'll get these to you if you want more. And there could be many more, but I'll just read one of them, right? That salvation, again, individually, communally, in every facet, it belongs to the Lord, and that is good news because, first, it is initiated by God's grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, but God, some of the best words you can ever read in the Bible. We are going astray. We are going wayward. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Okay, the assumption there, the biblical truth, is that you and I, apart from God's intervention, are dead. 
okay, the reality of that is dead people don't and can't just make themselves alive. Can't just choose God. And the picture in Ephesians that is crystal clear, as well as the full picture in, in all of the Bible, is it is good news that God initiates. Okay, salvation belonging to our Lord is that it is initiated by his grace. That word grace is undeserved favor. And then it is achieved by God's power. Again, there's a lot here, but one verse for us to know in Romans chapter 1, where the author Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Again, the far-reaching good news of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, ascension to the right hand of the throne of God, promised return, sending of the Holy Spirit, the gospel, the good news, all of that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Salvation belongs to the Lord who sits on the throne. And it is initiated by his grace and it is achieved, accomplished, fulfilled, ushered in by his power. And then next, it is offered on God's terms. Again, here in a moment, we'll get into why we struggle with this. But, okay, it is offered on God's terms. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As you see there, there are other verses, and I want to pause for a moment. And I also want to recognize it as a pastor right now, as an evangelical pastor in the U.S. right now. I could go on a rant about all these other things, and I could right, say all these different things. But I, as I even read that, hopefully there's a sense of grief and sadness at the reality of how much we pursue life where it cannot be found. Okay, I want to authoritatively and confidently, not because I'm some special person, but because the Bible says it so clearly, is the simple truth is that God's terms are that salvation, restoration, forgiveness, justification, okay, pardon, adoption, comes no other way than by the name of Jesus. And then it is accomplished by God's Son. It's offered and accomplished. It's not just offered like, hey, here, do you want this? I hope he is. But it's accomplished. Jesus in his power has, uh, when he died on the cross and said, it is finished, he meant something. He meant by the authority and power that I have, this is true. And this is what we see there in, again, Ephesians chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of the trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And again, you see there I quoted that one short, so it's easier. It is finished. He has accomplished it. He didn't die on the cross with something left to be done, with something left, with the ball left in our court. And that is incredibly good news that he has fulfilled and finished and accomplished all that he set out to do. And then um, it's secured by God's promises. John chapter 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
there's a security, there's a confidence, there's an assurance. Again, that the fact that salvation belongs to the Lord is there is a security in his promises. Does God not fulfill his promises? Okay, I, I want to encourage you, if you are questioning the, the, the weight or the good news of what it means that salvation belongs to him, a question is, well, does God really fulfill his promises? And he speaks in such absolute authority that there is a security therein. That if, 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 if salvation does not belong to him, then we would say, well, God's word really isn't good news. God's word isn't really trustworthy. And then finally, it is guaranteed by God's sovereignty. John chapter 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Has already passed from death to life. When we um, celebrate and observe baptisms here in a few moments, we see this picture of going from death to life. And I'll get into all the symbolism therein and why we do it the way we do it and how in many ways this is, yes, it looks like a trough and we joke about it and it is a trough actually. It doesn't just look like one. It is, right? It hasn't ever been used as a trough, by the way. This one we bought brand new. But, and it might even be cooler if it had been. But it also looks like a tomb or a casket. And there's intentionality therein. All right, that we would be reminded that our senses would kind of come alive to the reality that when you put your faith in Jesus, you have gone from death to life. That in the same way that Jesus was laid in the tomb and breathed his last on the cross, and then on the third day, right, we celebrated on Easter, rose from the dead. Okay, that he was, was, in a sense, born again, that we, through faith in him, go from death to life, that we are born again, that our hearts um, of stone have now been made into flesh and now have new life, new blood pumping through the blood of Christ that shapes us and forms us, that, 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 that it, that's, that's something that has been accomplished. Okay, hear me again. You, if you put your faith in Jesus, you have been saved. And you will be saved on that final day when you are pardoned and you are being saved. Okay, and again, the good news here that we need to see is that final day is not, there's not a question mark next to it. That if you belong to Jesus, if you are found in him, again, the picture in John chapter 10 even is that you're, you're now secured. It's been guaranteed that though you may wander Though you and I can look back five minutes, five years ago, whatever it might be, and we can see ways we have wandered, the good news is that the good shepherd, who Jesus is referred to, he pursues and he will not let any who have been entrusted to him be snatched away. Let me just point out, that includes you trying to snatch yourself away. So hopefully we see what this means, again, is good news. And then that word there in Jonah, back to Jonah chapter 2, right? Verse 9c, salvation belongs to the Lord. I don't have time to press into all that this means, but it means salvation is of the Lord. And this isn't just that it's his, that it's, it's something out there, but it's also who he is. Okay, hear me. Salvation is what God does. He is the one who saves and it is who he is. He is the saving one. 
As we read earlier, as we've seen, he's the only one. So salvation belongs to the Lord, all right? And this is important for us practically because, again, the way we view our own lives, the way we view uh, other, other aspects of our lives, um, we often treat it, even in churches, all right? Come, like, I'm sorry for this. Like, we treat it like it's ours, all right? In evangelism, I have non-believing family members who are not yet Christians, and I pile a weight on myself, and sometimes I go through it as though it's mine, to, to somehow manipulate or, 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 or handle or will treat like altar calls or something like that. Like, here's something, I've now set the table and I'm inviting you up and I will feed you, right? But the picture and the understanding that we need to have in our own lives and in the way we go about all of life is that salvation and its far-reaching truths belongs to the Lord. It is who he is. And let me have a, a pastoral moment again, okay? If you find yourself going up into the courtroom, if you find yourself floating up into the intellectual clouds and stuff, let's bring it down a moment for a minute, okay? God is the saving one. He's the helper. His invitation to you, if you've never put your faith in him, and to everyone in this room, whether you have or not, is to run to him for help constantly, is to run to him for saving, is to run to him for, for assurance, for encouragement, is that, is that we should have times where we pause and pray and close our eyes and go into a closet if need be and really enter into a time of prayer, but also that we would pray without ceasing, that our first flinch would not be, God, I'm going to prove you right. God, I'm going to show you right. I'm going to share your, 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 your gospel. We don't even say, I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to go out and get some people saved. I'm going to be a better husband, a better wife, a better mom, a better child. I'm going to do this. No, it's to, to understand, oh, salvation belongs to the Lord. That word, that phrase I said earlier, right? But God is, God, you, uh, you have intervened and done what I could never do. You did it then and you continually do it. Amen. So that the charge and the call is that we would now run to him constantly because salvation belongs to the Lord. And let me just ask us to recognize, why do we struggle with this? Okay, hopefully you've heard this. I don't know if it's been out there, but the real, okay, I've gotten the emails after we preached through Ephesians chapter two. I sadly grieved, I don't say this arrogantly, um, the people that left our church because of this theological position. And that breaks my heart. Um, and I have some of my own issues that's, you know, approval and I want everybody to like me and to like us and whatever, you know, that's all there too. But there's also a sense of grief, like, man, that's sad, that's hard. But I say that because I know we struggle with this, all right? And, and I want to acknowledge that. And I just want to say, why do we? I think it's twofold. And again, A.W. Tozer, I think, kind of paints this picture. And why to me this is such good news is it's, recognizing a right view of God and a right view of self. And we struggle with salvation belonging to the Lord because we have too high a view of self and too low a view of God. We have too high a view of self. Okay, in Genesis, this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three, right? If you know the Bible, it starts in what book? 
Genesis. Okay, so really early on, the third chapter in Genesis chapter 3, what happens there is referred to as the fall. Or again, author Christopher Wright says the rebellion is a better word. He's like, I don't know what falling means. Right? He talks about it as the rebellion. We rebel. We commit holy treason against God. And what we're doing in that moment, what we're tempted to believe is that we say, um, I don't think you're really trustworthy, God, right? Lower view of God. But they're in, I, I think I know better. I think if I just have a little more knowledge, right, the eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right, the forbidden fruit, if you will. We don't know what kind of fruit it was, by the way, and that's not the point, all right? Don't focus on the wrong part of conversation, right? It, we ate the forbidden fruit, and what that means is we have such a high view of self that we think, I could probably handle it. I, I got it better. I know better than God. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. And in the context of Galatians, this is referring to this idea of thinking so highly of self that we now take God's word, God's law, and we try to make it our own. We try to puff ourselves up, build ourselves up, and keep others down. And this is kind of a holy rebuke slap, if you will. All right? It's like a check yourself. You're deceived if you think too highly of yourself. In Job chapter 38, I won't go there, but again, if you're taking notes, you can think, there's this incredible picture where finally God basically calls Job to give an account and, and God's about to go on this like a, like a freestyle rant of just how great he is and he calls Job to step forward and he basically says, um, he says, uh, brace yourself like a man, I will question you and you will answer me. God calls, he's like, Sorry for this term. I coach baseball. Like, put your cup on and come forward. All right, I'm about to put you in check right now. And God goes on a whole rant about how powerful he is. And it's a beautiful picture that leads to worship. And again, when we encounter God, we see him for who he is. And then from there, we see ourselves rightly. We think too low of God. Psalm chapter 1 or Psalm 145, verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And then in this idea that's even fleshed out more in Isaiah chapter 40, and I won't read the whole part, but it's this incredible picture. Again, I encourage you, I commission you to read this. If you struggle with a lower view of God, hear me right now, and I'll get into this in a moment. If you have an idea that struggles to see your need for God's grace, all right, and I'm not going to call you out. I don't know who you are, I don't, but I know in my own heart, there are often times where I'm like, God, you're pretty lucky to have me. You know, I'm, I, I don't really need you. I'll, I'll take it from here, God. And I've told stories about where I have been just put in check there. I think my stutter, I journaled about this this morning. I think stuttering is the way God keeps like the trap door, if you will, under me. He's like, I could push this button and you will look a fool really quickly. All right. Um, well, if you, like me, struggle to see God in his glory and his grandeur, um, read Isaiah 40. It's where he talks about, he says, um, you know, who, who else holds the waters in the palm of his hands? Who can measure the cosmos, the universe, the, in, the, in the span of his hands? That's like from the thumb to the end of your forefinger. Who else can do that? And this picture is God. Again, we have too low a view of God and too high a view of self. And it's incredibly practical. 
As we kind of land the plane here, I want you to think through this. As I read this quote, that's a longer quote, but I don't even need to explain it because it helps connect the dots of why we struggle to see salvation belongs to the Lord as good news. Author and pastor Tim Keller says this, God's grace becomes wondrous. I would even say only wondrous and endlessly consoling, beautiful and humbly, humbling. Well, I didn't have to say only because he did already. God's grace becomes wondrous, endlessly consoling, beautiful and humbling only when we fully grasp and remind ourselves of all three of these background truths, that we deserve nothing but condemnation, that we are utterly incapable of saving ourselves, and that God has saved us despite our sin at infinite cost to himself. Some people have too high a view of themselves. God's grace is not stunning because they don't feel they need it. Let me ask you, if God's grace is not amazing, is not stunning, is it because you don't understand your need for it? Or at least not so much. I'm better than others. I don't need it as much as they do. He said, others do indeed see themselves as failures, but while they may have some notion of an abstract God of love, they have little idea of the enormity of Jesus' sacrifice to purchase them out of debt, slavery, and death. They aren't lost in wonder, love, and praise at the lengths and depths to which he has gone for us. However, when we look at the cross, we see the real-life good news. We ask that question, why does it matter? Why does salvation belonging to the Lord matter? Because we see there is no other way. When we look at the cross, we cannot help but have a bigger view of God. Oh, that is what rebellion has brought about. God, you have, you, there is no other way to deal with the effects of sin in every aspect of life. And there, when we look at the cross, we see ourselves more clearly, We see God more highly, and we see his good news more actually with flesh and blood in real life. So again, as we close and we respond right now, I just want us to consider and to ask, what does it look like for you and for me, for our identity and our purpose to be defined by the reality that salvation belongs to the Lord? on a bigger intellectual level, on a real life, boots on the ground, rubber meets the road, everyday practical reality. Why is this good news? What's good news because you and I have been saved from God's wrath and been saved for the full life in Christ that he's given you. A life for your identity and your purpose, your relationships, where the fact that you and I recognize every moment of every day that God has done what you and I could never do for ourselves. It's good news because we recognize, God, I could have never done this for myself and I don't have to because you've already done it. You've already accomplished. My, you initiated my salvation. You are overseeing my salvation in my relationship with you and you will see it true and final to the end. Salvation belongs to the Lord, to our Lord. Let's pray together. Again, Father, you are good. You're so good.
Lord, I, I know that this has been a, um, a, 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 a big and lofty and full sermon, Lord, so much. But I pray, Lord, that, that the action point wouldn't be copious notes that we pour over and try to understand you more intellectually. But God, in turn, that through your word, through the preaching of your word, by the oversight of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you have wooed us to you. Lord, that you have called us to surrender. Lord, to a, 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 a more right view of you and a more real view of ourselves and from there a more accurate view of others. Lord, that we wouldn't look with judgment or contempt that we would be the most humble. God, that those who call on you, that those who hold a reform position, that, that the idea of, a, of an arrogant Calvinist should be an oxymoron. Lord, that we would say, but not for the grace of God, so would I be. Lord, I pray that we would leave here with humility and wonder and awe and worship and embracing the good news that salvation belongs to the Lord, the one who sits on the throne, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.